Hi everybody, welcome again to Brooke's Reading Corner. Uh, in the last podcast, we read the story cover of Alice in Wonderland and also read Rumpelstiltskin from Grimm's Fairy Tales. I hope you enjoyed those reads, they were pretty fun. Um, and today what I want to do is read a few pages from chapter one in Alice in Wonderland and also a Hans Christian Andersen story. So um, I hope you enjoy it. Um, today is a really beautiful day where I'm at, and I hope that you all are having a nice day too. I hope the weather's nice, and maybe you can go outside and enjoy it for a little bit. Um, but I'll go ahead and start with chapter one, Down the Rabbit Hole. Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and having nothing to do. Once or twice she peered into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversation. And what is the use of a book, thought Alice, without pictures or conversation? So she was considering in her own mind, as well as she could, for the hot day made her feel very sleepy and stupid, whether the pleasure of making a daisy chain would be worth the trouble of getting up and picking the daisies, when suddenly a white rabbit with pink eyes ran close by her. There was nothing so very remarkable in that, nor did Alice think it so very much out of the way to hear the rabbit say to itself, Oh dear, oh dear, I shall be late. When she thought it over afterwards, it occurred to her that she ought to have wondered at this, but at the time it all seemed quite natural. But when the rabbit actually took a watch out of his waistcoat pocket and looked at it and then hurried on, Alice started to her feet for it flashed across her mind that she had never before seen a rabbit with either a waistcoat pocket or a watch to take out of it. And burning with curiosity, she ran across the field after it, and fortunately was just in time to see it pop down a large rabbit hole under the hedge. In another moment, down went Alice after it, never once considering how in the world she was to get out again. The rabbit hole went straight on like a tunnel for some way, and then dipped down suddenly, so suddenly that Alice had not a moment to think about stopping herself before she found herself falling into a very deep well. Either the well was very deep, or she fell very slowly, for she had plenty of time as she went down to look about her and to wonder what was going to happen next. First, she tried to look down and make out what she was coming to, but it was too dark to see anything. Then she looked at the sides of the well and noticed that they were filled with cupboards and bookshelves. Here and there she saw maps and pictures hung on pegs. She took down a jar from one of the shelves as she passed it. It was labeled Orange Marmalade, but to her great disappointment it was empty. She did not like to drop the jar for fear of killing someone, so managed to put it into one of the cupboards as she fell past it. Well, thought Alice to herself, after such a fall as this, I shall think nothing of tumbling down the stairs. How brave they'll all think me at home. Why, I wouldn't say anything about it, even if I fell from the top of the house, which was very likely true down, down, down. Would the fall never come to an end? I wonder how many miles I've fallen by this time, she said aloud. 
I must be getting somewhere near the center of the earth. Let me see, that would be about 4,000 miles down, I think. For you see, Alice had learned several things of this sort in her lesson in the classroom. And though this was not a very good opportunity for showing off her knowledge, as there was no one to listen to her, still, it was good practice to say it over. Yes, that's about the right distance. But then, I wonder what the latitude or longitude I've got to. Alice had no idea what latitude was, or longitude either, but thought they were very nice grand words to say. Presently, she began again, I wonder if I shall fall right through the earth. How funny it will seem to come out among people that walk with their heads downward. The antithesis, I think. She was rather glad that no one was listening at this time, as it didn't sound at all the right word. But I shall have to ask them what the name of the country is. You know, please ma'am, is this New Zealand or Australia? And she tried to curtsy as she spoke. Fancy curtsying as you're falling through the air. Do you think you could manage it? And what an ignorant little girl she'll think of me for asking. No, it'll never do to ask. Perhaps I shall see it written up somewhere. Down, down, down. There was nothing else to do. So Alice soon began talking again. Dinah will miss me very much tonight, I should think. Dinah was the cat. I hope they'll remember her saucer of milk at tea time. Dinah, my dear, I wish you were here with me. There are no mice in the air, I'm afraid, but you might be able to catch a bat. And that's very like a mouse, you know. But do cats eat bats, I wonder? And here Alice began to get rather sleepy and went on saying to herself in a dreamy sort of way, Do cats eat bats? Do cats eat bats? And sometimes, do bats eat cats? For you see, as she couldn't answer either question, it didn't matter which way she put it. She felt she was dozing off and had just begun to dream that she was walking hand in hand with Dinah and saying to her very earnestly, Now, Dinah, tell me the truth. Did you ever eat a bat? When suddenly, thump, thump, down she came upon a heap of sticks and dry leaves. The fall was over. Okay, so that was um, a couple of pages out of the first chapter of Alice in Wonderland, Down the Rabbit Hole. So I just wanted to get to the part where Alice is falling and falling and falling and she finally lands. So that should be um, a little piece to pique your interest in that one. So the next one I wanted to read was from Hans Christian Andersen. It's a fun little story called The Emperor's New Clothes. Many years ago, there lived an emperor who was so excessively fond of grand new clothes that he spent all his money upon them, that he might be very fine. He did not care about his soldiers, nor about the theater, and only liked to drive out and show his new clothes. He had a coat for every hour of the day, and just as they say of a king, he's in council. So they always said of him, the emperor is in the wardrobe. In the great city in which he lived, it was always very merry, 
Every day came many strangers. One day two rogues came. They gave themselves out as weavers and declared that they could weave the finest stuff anyone could imagine. Not only were their colors and patterns, they said, uncommonly beautiful, but the clothes made of the stuff possessed a wonderful quality that they became invisible to anyone who was unfit for the office he held or was incorrigibly stupid. Those would be capital clothes, thought the emperor. If I wore those, I should be able to find out what men in my empire were not fit for the places they have. I could tell the clever from the dunces. Yes, the stuff must be woven for me directly. And he gave the two rogues a great deal of cash in hand, that they might begin their work at once. As for them, they put up two looms and pretended to be working. But they had nothing at all on their looms. They at once demanded the finest silk and the costliest gold. This they put into their own pockets and worked at the empty looms until late into the night. I should like to know how far they got on with the stuff, thought the emperor. But he felt quite uncomfortable when he thought that those who were not fit for their offices could not see it. He believed indeed that he had nothing to fear for himself, but yet he preferred first to send someone else to see how matters stood. All the people in the city knew what peculiar power the stuff possessed, and were all anxious to see how bad or how stupid their neighbors were. I will send my honest old minister to the weavers, thought the emperor. He can judge best how the stuff looks, for he has sense, and no one understands his office better than he. Now the old minister went out into the hall, where the two rogues sat working at the empty looms. Mercy on us, thought the old minister, and he opened his eyes wide. I cannot see anything at all. But he did not say this. Both the rogues begged him to be so good as to come nearer, and asked if he did not approve of the colors and the pattern. Then they pointed to the empty loom, and the poor old minister went on opening his eyes, but could see nothing, for there was nothing to see. Mercy, he thought. Can I indeed be so stupid? I never thought that, and not a soul must know it. I am not fit for my office. No, it will never do for me to tell that. I could not see the stuff. Don't you say anything to it? asked one as he went on weaving. Oh, oh it's charming, quite enchanting, answered the old minister as he peered through his spectacles. What a fine pattern and, and what colors. Yes, I shall tell the emperor that I'm very much pleased with it. Well, we're glad of that, said both the weavers. And then they named the colors and explained the strange pattern. The old minister listened attentively so that he might be able to repeat it when the emperor came, and he did so. Now the rogues asked for more money and silk and gold, which they declared they wanted for weaving. They put all into their own pockets, and not a thread was put on the loom. They continued to work at the empty frames as before. The emperor soon sent again, dispatching another honest officer of the court to see how the weaving was going on, and if the stuff would soon be ready. But he fared just as the first, 
He looked and looked, but there was nothing to be seen but the empty looms. He could see nothing. Is it not a pretty piece of stuff? asked the two rogues. And they displayed and explained the handsome pattern, which was not there at all. I am not stupid, thought the man. It must be the good office for which I am not fit. It is funny enough, but I must not let it be noticed. So he praised the stuff which he did not see, and then expressed his pleasure at the beauty and colors and charming pattern. Yes, it's enchanting, he told the emperor. All the people in the town were talking of the gorgeous stuff. The emperor wished to see it himself while it was still upon the loom. With the whole crowd of chosen men, among whom were also the two honest statesmen who had already been there, he went to the cunning rogues, who were now weaving with might and main without fiber or thread. Is not that splendid? said the two statesmen who had already been there once. Does not your majesty remark the pattern and the colors? And they pointed to the empty looms, for they thought that the others could see the stuff. What's this? thought the emperor. I can see nothing at all. Oh, that is terrible. Am I stupid? Am I not fit to be emperor? That would be the most dreadful thing that could happen to me. Oh, it's very pretty, he said aloud. It has our highest apparition. And he nodded in a contented way and gazed at the empty loom, for he would not say that he saw nothing. The whole suit of whom he had with him looked and looked and saw nothing any more than the rest. But like the emperor, they said that it is pretty, and they counseled him to wear the splendid new clothes for the first time at the great procession that was presently to take place. It is splendid, excellent, went from mouth to mouth. On all sides there seemed to be general rejoicing, and the emperor gave the rogues the title of Imperial Court Weavers. The whole night before the morning on which the procession was to take place, the rogues were up and kept more than sixteen candles burning. The people could see that they were hard at work, completing the emperor's new clothes. They pretended to take the stuff down from the loom. They made cuts in the air with great scissors. They sewed with needles without thread. And at last they said, Now the clothes are ready. The emperor came himself with the noblest cavaliers. And the two rogues lifted up one arm as if they were holding something and said, See, here are the trousers. Here is the coat. And here's the cloak. And so on. It is as light as a spider's web. One would think one would have nothing on, but that is just the beauty of it. Yes, said all the cavaliers, but they could not see anything, for nothing was there. Will your imperial majesty please concede to take off your clothes? said the rogues. Then we will put on the new clothes here in front of the great mirror. The emperor took off his clothes, and the rogues pretended to put on each new garment as it was ready. And the emperor turned round and round before the mirror. Oh, how well they look! How capitally they fit, said all. What a pattern! What colors! That is a splendid dress. 
They are standing outside with the canopy, which is to be borne above your majesty in the procession, announced the headmaster of the ceremonies. Well, I'm ready, replied the emperor. Does it not suit me well? And then he turned again to the mirror, for he wanted it to appear as if he contemplated his adornment with great interest. The two chamberlains were there to carry the train, stooped down with their hands towards the floor, as if they were picking up the mantle. Then they pretended to be holding something in the air. They did not dare let it be noticed that they saw nothing. So the emperor went in the procession under the rich canopy, and everyone in the streets said how incomparable the emperor's new clothes. What a train to his mantle! How it fits him! No one would let it be perceived that he could see nothing, for that would have shown that he was not fit for his office, or very stupid. No clothes of the emperor had ever had such a success as these. But he has nothing on, a little child cried out at last. Just hear what that innocent said, said his father, and one whispered to another what the child had said. But he has nothing on, said the whole people at length. That touched the emperor, for it seemed to him that they were right. But he thought within himself, I must go through with the procession. And so he held himself a little higher, and the chamberlains held on tighter than ever, and carried the train which did not exist at all. Okay, so that is The Emperor's New Clothes, which is a Hans Christian Andersen tale. <laughs> and I do think it's pretty funny uh, that the rogues would got away with something that grand, you know, to, to make invisible clothes. You know, they really didn't do anything, but they made it appear so. So that was a really fun read. I hope you enjoyed the little piece of Alice in Wonderland and The Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen. Um, the next time I have an interesting little book, it's Emily Post. Emily Post on entertaining answers to the most often asked questions about entertaining at home and in business. So I think I'll read um, a few things from that. It's a format that's question and answer. So I'll read the question and, and then read the answer that she wrote and maybe um, a tale or two from Grimm's or Hans Christian Andersen or even Aesop's again. So I hope you can join for the next one and you'll have a great day. Thanks for listening.